0: Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to Know Your Gear Podcast, episode 281. We have a lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, Some interesting questions that came in through the week. Interesting questions came in early. First question of the day I saw was from Bobby Steele, and he said, Do tube screamers sound good with Les Pauls or 335s? I don't know. Uh, uh, Here's what I'm going to tell you. Tube screamers, the reason why I like this question is I don't think tube screamers are connected to guitars. So I use a Tube Screamer, right, a Tube Screamer style of pedal with a Strat, with a Les Paul, with a 335, with any guitar I want. To me, Tube Screamers are about the amp you put them in through. So to me, a Tube Screamer through a Fender style amp, in other words, through a Fender amp or any of your Fender style clean amps, like a PV, you know, running the channel clean. Okay. To me, it's a light overdrive. It's, uh, it's a little scooped, but I like it, especially on the Strat more so than other guitars, but any guitar works. I like that tone But to me, a Tube Screamer is all about putting into an amp that's lightly overdriven or mid-range overdriven. Like if you get 5150, I mean, I see some metal guys running Tube Screamers in front of 5150s cranked like with the distortion on 10 and they run it. I don't even know. uh, I don't think you could probably hear what it's doing. Uh, Maybe it has because it's pushing the input. You can probably feel some of the... uh, like more have more sustained because the notes kind of just really getting the amps getting throttled so to speak through the front end but to me a tube screamer is about taking an amp like a marshall style amp you know or any kind of mid-range driven amp and kind of pushing it to that next level especially for solos because it's not about more gain with the tube screamer the magic of the tube screamer and the marshall to me has never been about the gain even though that was its intention was to kind of plug it into a marshall and those guys from the 80s were definitely like getting those marshalls to get more distortion to me it's about the sustain and everything is about how long can you make a note hang around and a lot of people go how much sustain you need i i don't know how much you know i know it's silly when you're like 10 seconds 15 seconds of sustain that seems silly but to me especially with when live that's one of the things that i think we lose touch with a lot as bedroom players is that you lose connection to when you did play out live or you've never played out live playing out live when you have to work (laughs) to get Tone out of an instrument when you're fighting it um, and your adrenaline's running because you're already kind of trying not to play too fast because that's what happens with bands, right? They play things faster. That's why sometimes live, whether you guys realize it or not, sometimes you can listen to a song on the radio and then watch the band live, watch the live show. And the song is like 20 seconds shorter live if they play it exactly the same and don't add you know stuff to it because they're playing faster, the tempo is faster because they're excited. Uh, so uh, that's especially the bands that don't run off click tracks. Um, anyways, uh, the importance of this is that sometimes, uh, even though your drillings going, you know, when the note's kind of like decaying on you, it's kind of a, a to me, it ge- it's almost like it gives me a little anxiety when I'm playing, especially on a bass when I hit a note and I feel like the notes decaying too fast, I feel like I, I, I start hitting harder and it changes the vibe of what you're playing. So to me, I like to have more, <laughs> a little bit more distortion, a little bit more volume, a little bit more, uh, when I'm playing live. Cause I feel like it, it's, uh, it's nice. And, uh, and so back to your comment about which, uh, which guitar for the tube screamer, I don't think it's the guitar for me, it's the amp. So, um, so T-Bone says, TS9s are so overrated. Overrated? I don't know if I would... I would, I don't even understand that. <laughs> Here's why... I don't know why I understand overrated. I guess if you mean like everybody likes them, so then that's silly. But to me, what, what's... You know what's great about the TS9s uh, and the Tube Screamers? There's one really nice thing, and I'm going to... This is going to mark this video for life, right? This is kind of like when somebody says something and then, you know, like kind of like when you make a video about a price of a guitar, two years later, inflation happens and now the video is not relevant because the price is so much different. This will be irrelevant probably, sadly, one day. The thing about Tube Screamers that really kind of cracks me up that's awesome is they're not crazy priced. They're not. You can get a Tube Screamer dirt cheap still, you know, uh, even even vintage ones haven't gone stupid <laughs> i have an 85 or 84 tube screamer ts9 uh it's worth a few hundred bucks i mean it's it's not you know not crazy for some reason they're still they're to me they're like this they do something and they do it well and they haven't gone to the whole there's no nothing like a tube screamer the, uh, it's kind of funny. My favorite for the uh, record for my favorite tube screamer by far is the red dirt by, uh, by Keeley, uh, a viewer recommended it to me in a music store. And, um, I was, I was lucky enough to just reach out to Robert and those guys and say, Hey, could you let me see one? And they sent me one and it's been my go-to forever since. And, uh, I, yeah, I have no reason to keep any tube screamers besides that. So there you go. Uh, so yeah, tube screamers. Um, hold on. By the way, I watched an amazing video this week. I can't, I can't, I can't understate this. I'll put a link to it now. Uh, Josh Scott from JHS pedals did a video for Sweetwater where they like talked about the top 1000 pedals sold at Sweetwater Video is like hour and a half long. And, uh, I watched the whole thing <laughs> and, uh, It was amazing because he just, he didn't just, you know, say this pedal and then this is number two thirty he went through the stories and the, and some of the explanations of things. Very, very cool. Especially like watching somebody like that. It's always exciting for me because like I said, I'm a pedal enthusiast. I am not a pedal expert. Um, and I use the word expert very sparingly when I do even use, try to use the word expert for anything I do or say, but Uh, You know, obviously there's things I have a, I have a field of knowledge of Uh, and pedals. I'm an enthusiast. I know a lot about pedals, but it's as more of a consumer and not as anything else. Like I said, I've never built one. I don't know much about them other than, you know, what I like (laughs) and what I like to pay. Uh, So yeah, a lot of you guys saying it was great. It was great. I, I, you know what? I don't know why. It was one of those videos that for some reason it probably had clickbaity feel to it. I clicked on it. I was expecting nothing great. I was, I actually went, I skipped the whole video and just watched the last to see which one was number one. And that was so entertaining that I had to go back and just watch the whole thing. So, um, so there you go. Hey, grumpy Mike, grumpy Mike's here. I just uh, saw another moderator pop in. So saying hi. And if I, if I missed anybody else, I apologize. Just sometimes, you know, when it's scrolling it to see things. Um, Let's, uh, let's go to the next question. Let's next topic. Next topic. Uh, our question, depending on how you want is, uh, is, uh, okay. Uh, Dan, this is a great question. Um, I like it. It says, Phil, every refret video I've watched has the neck removed from the guitar. Are there special precautions to take when doing that work, uh, on a set neck or neck through? Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I like this question because I realize, like in my refret videos, I also have the necks removed and it's because I've refretted in the videos, uh, both on necks and it's just easy. I have a little cradle that holds the neck. Um, no, I can do it with, uh, anybody can do it with a set neck or, or a neck through with no difference. Um, in fact, the cradle I have raises up and, uh, it has like a block underneath it. So the neck, when I'm pressing on the neck, it it's cradled into that cradle, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, it wouldn't cause any other damage. Um, there's no real difference. Um, you know, I guess I could say, it, here's the only thing that sucks. When when y- using a fret press, which is what I like to use because uh, it's effective and it's easy, um, it becomes a- almost either, I don't want to say impossible, but it's very hard to use it as you get towards uh, and I'm doing off memory, like probably 17th fret, somewhere around there, right? Somewhere where you get the last five or six frets, somewhere on that area of the neck, on a set neck or a, or a bolt on, because obviously the press can't get underneath there and, and use it like, you know, the way you want. So you kind of tap them in. I use a, the hammer for that mostly. Um, But no, I mean, it's not effectively different. It's a nice, I like this question because it's a nice observation. It's one of those things, and I don't. I could say very easily like, oh, when I've done it in videos, I only did it because like, that's what I had, you know, to do was a bolt on neck. But to be honest with you, it's so easy to do the bolt on necks that that's probably why I did it in the videos. Like it wasn't even probably conscious decision. It was kind of like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it on the easiest way because it's for a video, right? So the process is faster Unless you're trying to you know, trying to make this process easier and faster. So, um, but yeah, it's a good question. I like it, but yes, the reason it's removed from the guitar is because it's just easier. You don't have to remove a bolt on neck from a guitar to refret it. It's not even uh, a thing. You can, like I said, you can do it with it on there or not. It's just easier. So, and, uh, it, it saves you 10 minutes and 10 minutes is something, right? Maybe, maybe 20 minutes sometimes. Um, Jay Younger says, hey, Phil, I own a 2021 ES-335 just like you. I have that behind me today. There it is right there. Uh, It says, is there any way to do it yourself roll over the edges on the fretboard binding? I find rolling the edges on binding easier than wood. So that's good to know, I'm sure for you. Uh, It says, I find them the only, wait, I find them the only thing I don't like on the guitar. Oh, okay. So the only thing he doesn't like on the guitar is that the edges aren't uh, very rolled. We talked about doing a video on rolled edges and, uh, and, uh, the problem I had was I didn't have a guitar that needed rolled edges. Well, it just so happens I have a guitar that I'm having a trouble with personal guitar having trouble with because the edges are very not rolled. <laughs> they are, they are razor sharp. <laughs> I've never seen, I don't know, say never seen what a silly thing to say. It's just, they're really sharp. They're really to a point. So, and it just so happens this guitar is very expensive. Why does that matter to you? It matters because I'm gonna roll. I'm gonna roll the edges on it, and I will videotape that. Um, this will go on the second channel, so you guys know. So I will do it. I'll probably release it to the patrons first, of course, and the members, and then it'll roll to the second channel. Don't worry because it's not. It's still not going to be a little while. Um, I, I don't. I'm not going to get to it this month, but it will be something like in the very priority of next month to do. Um, and like I said, I'll show you how I roll those uh, on the guitar. And the reason why I'm going to do the video is not only because you guys asked for it, but I thought, what a perfect example. I have this expensive guitar. So I find that when you do repair videos, sometimes you want to use an inexpensive guitar because it's what people can relate to. It's like, Hey, I'm modding up an inexpensive guitar, but on things like this, where it scares the crap out of people. I think watching somebody do it on a guitar that is scary to watch, I think is uh, kind of like when I did the Myths video on broken headstocks and I kind of used the the, the real Gibson Les Paul and, and kind of flexed on the headstock a little bit. Uh, I think that kind of illustrates it. You know, You know how confident I must be that this is going to work if i'm putting at risk a, a really expensive guitar and the same thing with this video i think it'll kind of il- illustrate more than you you know what you need to do and what tools i recommend and i will tell you that uh you can do it anyone can roll the edges on their fretboards at home the problem is it's it's uh it's elbow grease right that's what it is right um it's a inside joke with me and my daughter whenever i have her do the dishes or anything, I say, you know, I say, hey, could you come here for a minute? And she's like, yeah, and she's like, and she's and she'll say, do I need anything? Which is her way of saying, do I need shoes? Because sometimes the kids, uh, when I ask them to do something, they they know if it's go outside, take out the trash, you're gonna need shoes. And I would say, nope, you just need your elbows and some grease. And uh, they hate that joke. It's the most dad joke you could tell, but I love saying it every time. Uh, T-Bone says, hey, Phil, I, this is a question you get like all the time, but hey, it's fun. T-Bone says, Phil, if you had to choose one guitar, Stratocaster or Les Paul, it's a Stratocaster. No, no doubt about it. Uh, I own more Strat style guitars. I like Strat style guitars. I can tell you right now, a Strat, Humbucker, Single, Single, would be the ultimate guitar for me. That's, uh, it's uh, perfect. Um, the only reason I don't kind of just have one Strat with Humbucker, Single, singles is because I have a lot of guitars and, um, I have, um, a lot of excuses to use them. <laughs> it's, it's really really nice. I, you know, it's funny when I bought... <laughs> this is so dumb. When I bought the Gibson Les Paul, the the 59 reissue, <laughs> my my wife was like, oh. <laughs> you know, she doesn't say anything negative or, or bad. She do not care what I do. But she, it was kind of funny. Like, kind of like she, it took her off. You know, like, oh, I didn't really think that was something that was on your radar as a guitar. Remember, my wife is very versed in guitars. Um, and, uh, so I bought it and I said, well, you never know when I'm going to need it. And then when, uh, when <laughs> Amplified Nation sent out that, uh, $4,000 Dumble, I was like, oh, see, now I have the right guitar to demo this, this amp. <laughs> I, I had mentally convinced myself this all made sense. <laughs> this was, it was all making sense. Um, by the way, for those who weren't paying attention, that rig was amazing. And, uh, and why I say that is because, that is the most expensive rig that I've played on the channel. <laughs> if you kept you add up what I was playing in that video, it's the it, I, like afterwards. I loved all the comments. Everybody was like, "Oh, it sounded amazing." I thought it sounded life changingly amazing. Um, and I plan to do a cool follow up to that video. Um, it actually sent me down a, a, a rabbit hole. Uh, that amp of. I'm now determined to find what pedals sound closest to that amp and then do a video just demonstrating that because I get it. Not everybody's in the market for a crazy expensive amp like that. Let me put it this way. I wasn't in the market for a crazy expensive amp like that, but I'm really curious how close can you get to it with a pedal? And, uh, and I know a lot of you guys are going to go, Oh, try this pedal and try this pedal. And I appreciate all that feedback, but you have to understand, like, I, I, I'm not going to go off the hype of a pedal or anything. I'm literally just a being, uh, pedals against the amp and then dialing them in. And that's the whole point of the video that I'm going to make is like, which one would I honestly say is the closest to that amp? Because that amp is breathtakingly beautiful sounding. (laughs) So, uh, so, and it it should be, it's, uh, that's what I'm saying that for the price, it should be. That's why I was laughing when you guys all said all the comments were like, it sounds amazing. I'm like, it should, it costs an insane amount of money. My friend just bought a pickup truck for, $1,000 $1,000 less than that rig cost. That's uh, not even a joke. And what's funny about that is you guys know that even no matter what pickup truck I just he bought, there's no such thing as a cheap, cheap pickup truck. So it's crazy. Um, uh, let's see. Hold on. Yeah. Kevin says it was an awesome video. The clean tone was amazing. Yeah. That'd be the hard thing that <laughs> you can't do with a pedal. You can't get that. Well, you can, I think you can. Like I said, I, I I'm working on it. That's, what's great about that. Uh, these experiences uh, having this YouTube adventure that I've had for a few years now. And I'm glad that a lot of you have been hanging out with me and having this adventure with me is that, you know, there's no world where I would have plugged in an expensive guitar into an expensive amp or done this stuff. This is not something that was ever been on my radar. And it's not that I think anybody needs that stuff. I'm just saying it's nice that once you hear it, and that's really what I've learned about any of this gear, is that when you play or hear a piece of gear uh, that's that sets a bar, it's not that, oh, you can't have anything less than that. It's that you know now what you're, how to dial things that are less expensive better, right? There's a reason why Like I said, there's a reason why these high end, you know, these amazing guitar players that have this high end gear, you can see them play stuff that isn't high end sometimes. And it's because they know how to dial it in now. They know what the sound they're looking for. It's more perfected in their ear. Um, The Panda says, did you see the $50,000 Gibson Kirk Hammett, Uh, greening issues yeah of course you know to me this is no different than when uh you know uh members uh, when (laughs) the van halen then that actually that's the better question think about this was it 2011 i can't remember the year so uh 2011 somewhere around there when they did the frankenstein $25,000 guitars and uh I mean, it's just really the sign of the times, isn't it? I mean, when we first started hearing about these guitars, the first crazy guitar like this I remember was the Steve Ray Vaughan that was filled fourteen thousand dollars, and then they did the uh, the the um, uh, that's like fourteen thousand. Then, of course, our uh, uh, Eddie Van Halen's was twenty five thousand, and of course, there's tons of these. I, I think there was a Peter, Peter Frampton one that was twenty five thousand. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's. It's And I, I stick with this. I love to say something as, you know, as generic as like, oh, who cares, right? But really what it is is this, and I've said this before. I'm not a buyer for that stuff. It doesn't interest me. Um, but that's because I can think of things that can uh, – I can think of things I'd rather spend my money on. For instance, playing the Dumble clone, I started – you know, playing it and talking to a friend and we were talking and he was like, if you were rich, you know, Phil, if you had millions of dollars, would you buy a real Dumble now knowing that the Dumble clones sounds so good, you know? And I said, I, I swear to God, in fact, if you guys want proof, I'll get them on the show so you can <laughs> prove that I said this. I told him, I said, you know what I would do before I would pay a couple hundred grand for a Dumble? Um, I would play this copy and I would buy someone a house and I would take a picture of them in front of their house and I would set the picture, like the frame on top of the dumble, And then that's what I would brag about to people. I'd be like, check out my cool amp and the house I bought somebody with for. And I know that sounds weird to some of you guys and maybe to some of you guys, and maybe it sounds cool. I don't know. But to me, that's the problem with a $50,000 guitar. It's like a $50,000 guitar to me is before I'd buy a $50,000 guitar. I would buy a $10,000 guitar, because that's crazy. And then I would buy somebody else. because uh, that's And I know that's not what it's about. That's the problem about this. These expensive guitars are about investing. That's what this is. People get to, I told you guys, this is my saying, I'll say it forever. Rich people take their junk to the auction. Poor people take their junk to the landfill. The reality is, is how we buy stuff is different. I, I've always talked about this. There's a video I love on my channel Um, where a customer at the time, you know, I was doing heavy repairs, a customer brought me a, uh, music man. I think it's called the nomad. I apologize if I can't remember the, uh, the actual name of the guitar, but it's a very interestingly, some say ugly, uh, Petrucci guitar it's it's the if you guys if anyone you guys think the majesty is ugly this thing's on another level of crazy and weird has diamonds in it and i did the video because uh it had fret sprout standstill fret sprout and they asked me to do the frets and i did the frets and they said in passing this is when i was a younger channel and i didn't know what i know now they said hey i wouldn't be hurt if you did a video about it you know which is their nice way of saying hey it would be cool if you did a video i did a video about that, that guitar and the comments are unanimous uh, that guy is a moron and, and that he spent $10,000 on this ugly guitar and what a stupid thing to do. And I, I feel bad and I don't know if this is true. Okay. But I know he shortly after that sold it. And I think he sold it. It could be possible because I've experienced this with other people when bringing their, their things they love onto my channel and showing it is that a lot of people aren't, um, conditioned for the comments. <laughs> you know, it takes a little bit. It's like not only a thicker skin, It takes, it takes the experience of doing this and having those kind of comments on a daily basis to know how to handle them. And so he sold the guitar. He sold the guitar for $12,000. And this is why that story is important to me. What I learned from that was he bought a guitar for 10 grand. Everybody said he was stupid he sold the guitar for 12 grand. He had it for a little over a year. So he played a really nice guitar for a year and then he put $2,000 in his pocket. And I thought, wow, the viewers don't know because that's literally way better than everything that they're doing. (laughs) Buying a Mexican Strat for 700 bucks and then selling it for five. Hmm. Losing 200 bucks. This guy made two grand. He got paid two grand to play guitar. Now here's where I didn't realize I, and you, the audience, were even more freaking wrong. Because now that guitar is worth $25,000. Just a couple years later, remember, my channel is not that old. This is only about three years ago, three and a half years ago, So uh, when I did that video. So you can understand, in less than four years, if he didn't sell it, he would have paid $10,000, played this guitar for the last three, four years, and then made $15,000. And the reality is what I'm trying to tell you is that's what these guys are doing when they're buying those guitars. In fact, all this stuff is becoming, all of that stuff is no different than art and all the other stuff that people buy and flip. It's, uh, it's why people buy, uh, Rolexes is why people buy, buy, uh, Ferraris. Um, I have a friend, I they've talked about this. He, He's a Ferrari guy, like a real real Ferrari guy. And I don't think he actually pays for them. I think he he buys them. I think this is the way I see it kind of from my eyes is he buys it. He drives it for, I don't even think a year. Then he sells it for either what he paid or more. And then he gets another one. And because he's like always on some kind of cool waiting list to get one. I know nothing about that world. I just understand what he's doing because I know he's not really spending any money. And he's driving a Ferrari. And the rest of us are spending money and driving Camry's. So um, that's where, like I said, that stuff really falls into a different world than just guitar collecting or just guitar enthusiast or guitar playing. This becomes these uh, uh, products of buy, flip, make money on, and more importantly, enjoy for a period of time. That's the best thing about it. You know, you get to play it for a little while. They're going to play this guitar; it's going to be great. And then they'll wait until it's either worth what they paid or more than what they paid. In most cases, they'll they'll get make money on it, and then they move on. And like I said, that's why I like the saying. I always say it: rich people take their junk to the auction, and we take our junk to the landfill. So they're not all stupid out there, the rich people. You think that they're wasting their money, and a lot of times they're not wasting it; they're growing it and having a good time. And it's important to understand the differences. I'm not saying that is a fact that it's always happening, but I'm saying you need to, you need to pay attention to when you think somebody's wasting their money, they're actually making money. Um, And that, you know, and that brings me to the second, uh, there's another question I got that ties into this one. And I got a couple emails this week on it and last week. And, uh, excuse me, I got to find it now. Uh, Oh, here it is. Okay, the question I was getting emails. I, I remember I pinned it up here. It says Rick Beato guitar thoughts, and would you get one? And you know what's funny was I got that. I got that question, and then what I thought I wanted to share something to, with you uh, that I thought was interesting. So let me go to the web. I'm on the on the Reverb website now, um, and you can see through searches. I thought, I thought uh, I had searched it, but I guess not. Okay. Um, let's, let's find it. we we'll probably do it as easy as this. Okay. So the Rick Beato Gibson, and this is what I wanted to share with you. So I didn't know, like I said, very clear. I didn't know much about it. I know he announced it, um, uh, the guitar that he was doing it. I thought it came out, like I said, a year ago, cause again, I wasn't in the market for it. So it wasn't something I was paying attention to, um, and then of course I saw the secondary announcement that you guys saw where he was like, Hey, it's out. And, uh, and, um, and, uh, what's funny was <laughs> actually, since I'm, since I'm disclosing things, um, really what happened was I got a lot of emails from friends and viewers who, who were, um, admiring, uh, the, uh, thumbnail that the guitar came out, the thumbnail, uh, in my, I have a thumbnail on my Charvel. No, I'm sorry. I have a thumbnail on my, uh, how to live with your Floyd Rose. If you don't love it video. And, um, they, they were, uh, it was like, uh, it was funny. <laughs> if, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about and you get bored, just look up how to live with your Floyd, Floyd Rose when you don't love it. If you look at that video, it's bad. <laughs> that, that thumbnail is, is funny. So anyway, so, um, back to his guitar so i didn't know what it cost so i pulled him up and i was like oh three thousand dollars that seems like a lot and i go he's 125 and i go these are all used i go why are they used didn't it just come out why aren't there new ones so of course i go to filters and i'm like let's see what they're selling for what what am i missing here sold and of course look they're 19.99 so it's two thousand dollars for this guitar because i was really shocked when i saw three thousand dollars because I went through the specs and his guitar was like, okay, it's got P90s. Okay. Uh, I didn't read. I'm, I was reading through the marketing copy. I didn't see what was different about them. The guitar is slightly thinner and it has a satin uh, satin style uh, finish, uh, nitro finish. And of course, it's uh, it looks Pelham Blue, but they said it's, they're calling it TV Pelham Blue. I think is what they said, which I thought was a cool naming. Oh, sorry, T V Blue Mist. They call it TV Blue Mist. It looks like pale and blue to me. Um, and uh but you know, very cool guitar. I like the vibe, and I like the guitar being a little thinner. As you guys know, I have a thin less paul and I like it. But back to the weird part was like, well, if it's oh it's two grand and of course everybody bought them up and is flipping them, right? <laughs> so I'm like, this is the new thing. And it's not new, it's just getting more and more obnoxiously ramp it to the point where um that's all we're doing anymore it's weird as a, as a as these new products come out it's like every product comes out and it's either limited or it's hard to get because especially because of the pandemic stuff and then all of a sudden you go to get one like oh okay let's look at it and uh everybody's charging almost double and I'm like okay so everything is just buy it up and then flip it So, I'm not against that, by the way. I don't have an opinion about flipping that and making money. I really don't. uh, I don't don't pass judgment on people who do it or people who buy them. If you want to buy it and you want to pay whatever you want to pay, you pay it. I'm not going to pay it, (laughs) and I'm not going to do it, but it's not so much I'm passing judgment as someone I'm not interested in flipping a guitar like that, and I'm not interested in paying you know, twice as much. Um, I think I told you guys, uh, this year I bought a new truck and every dealer I went to was trying to add on the market correction pricing fee. And it was just obnoxious to the point where I actually bought a truck. Um, well I didn't, I, I ordered a truck and it got in and they sent me the email, the text to, and the email saying, Hey, your your um, your truck's in. And uh, I was having breakfast and, um, I go, oh, cool. My truck's in. I was uh, very excited. <laughs> and uh, I looked, they sent me the numbers, you know, because they knew, you know, you, get, you need the numbers when you get there. And they sent me the numbers and I look at the numbers and the numbers way off. And I'm like, what is going on? And I looked down and there's a $10,000 market correction fee on this truck. It was a TRD Pro um, Tundra. And I was like, this is nuts. I already thought the truck was nuts. I already kind of felt like I was over buying and buying something I didn't really need and paying a lot of money. And then and then this market correction fee. So, wouldn't do it. So, ended up, what, what truck I ended up getting was from a dealer who negotiated the market correction fee basically off the truck. Um cuz I'm not doing it. I I, I didn't I'm just not going to do it. I'll wait. I will wait. I didn't need it. Uh I can I can just buy something else. So, the same thing with this. I'm not going to pay the market adjustment of somebody flipping the guitar and I'm uh not going to do sell it that way. Um cuz I'm not really, you know, like I said Uh, I think buying something and then if, as it appreciates selling, and I think I I always fine with that, but I don't like the, me personally, I don't like to buy it and then flip it the next day just because I was first to get it. Um, you know, back in the day, the scalpers did that with the tickets and it sucked. So again, if you do that, I'm not against you. I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong because that's, it's a free market. Do what you want. But really interesting that it just seems like it's happening to the point where I think, uh, I kind of think this is artificially changing the market. I think every time something new comes out, I think the first reaction is to buy it up and then flip it. We saw it a lot with pedals, and and I told you we we were we've had this discussion when we do the the KYG limited runs. We we keep talking about this every time we do one. We've got two more coming up that's really exciting. I told you guys it's fairly very upsetting because the thing I don't want to happen is I don't want to have more product than we can sell. And I don't want you guys, uh, I don't want people buying them and flipping them immediately for double because I don't think that's right either. I want anybody who can get one to get one. So that's why it's great that we can test market them on the patrons and see how many they buy. And then that tells us how many we should probably do for the main audience and stuff. So, yeah. But on that note, would I buy the Rick Beato guitar? I wouldn't. Uh I I has nothing, it's just not in something that's in my sights as a guitar. I wasn't interested in that guitar before. If I was, I like that color and I like the idea it's a little thinner. So of course I'm cool with that. Um and uh and then also I kind of worry sometimes like if if a YouTuber buys a YouTuber's guitar, does then YouTube implode? I'm just kidding. I <laughs> kinda bad joke. Uh, I was going to say, it's not even funny, but it's kind of, I did think that for a second. I was like, can a YouTuber buy another YouTuber's guitar? I guess I, I did buy a Chapman guitar. I guess that's the same kind of logic, but for, for review. Um, and, uh, but I do have a funny Rick Beato story that I just like to tell everybody. Um, I have met Rick Beato once. It was very brief, very brief. When I met him, I met him in 2020. This is relevant to the guitar and the story. Um, uh, anyways, it was at an event. It was before the Nam show. I was invited with a bunch of other YouTube channels. Rhett Shaw was there. Uh, RJ Rinkelio was there. I think Hanning Pauly was there. I know Hanning was there. Uh, you can't forget if Hanning's there. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, Glenn was there. I, I, you know, I've been to so many events, like sometimes they just like a mess, you know, the emergent, those people were definitely there. And, um, Mike Saldana was there. If you saw the Mike Saldana interview, the Steve I interview, that's where that happened at. I interviewed Steve I, I interviewed Mike Saldana. I interviewed, um, a few other builders, uh, Joe Morgan from Morgan Amps. And, um, anyways, why this is funny was we were taking a tour of the factory and, uh, I had had lunch. We had lunch and, uh, I was talking to a couple channels like Retsch Hall and RJ and then Rick had sit down next to us and I got to talk to him very briefly. And, um, And, uh, it was very, very pleasant conversation. I mean, he doesn't really know who I am or care. So it's not like a, you know, there's not really a whole lot to like talk about there. Um, but, uh, what was interesting why this is relevant was we were walking the, um, the, the, um, (laughs) <laughs> we were walking the factory. It's funny. I, there's a really great Rick Beato story <laughs> that he told that I can't tell because I, I just don't feel right telling. So it's not relevant to this, but I just thought about it. I'm, I maybe got to figure out how to s- tell that story, uh, on one day on a show. Um, but this story is funny because, um, he was standing there next to me and a couple of people and the company that we were at, the owner of the company and stuff said, Hey, Rick had, have you, done a tour of the the factory yet and he said no not yet he goes uh and he and and again i'm just standing there and he says uh we need to get you a product i'm keeping this a little vague because the, the 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 bones of the story is more important than the details so he goes we need to get you a product <laughs> right and rick goes well i haven't played one yet so i don't know if i would actually do a signature good, you know and uh, you know product and they said oh no we weren't we were not offering you a signature product and i stand there and i was like wow what a what what like i'm standing there going what the hell's happening here right because i'm like are they insulting him and then and then they said oh we would never do a youtuber product as a <laughs> right <laughs> and um, and then what it was was the lines were crossed, right? So, the, the, the what was happening was somebody said, Hey, we need to ha- let you try. Let's say, I'm going to say guitar because that's easy. It wasn't about guitars. They said, Hey, le- we need to let you try our guitar. And he said, uh, Or no, sorry, we need to get you a guitar. In other words, like get him a signature guitar. And he said, Oh, I've never tried your guitar, so I can't you know, I can't even, I'd have to try one first. Right. And then they laughed, chuckled and said, no, we weren't talking about a signature guitar. We're talking about like letting you try one, get one on your channel kind of thing. Right. And, and then they had to add in there like, Hey, yeah, we wouldn't do a YouTube signature instrument. Um, again, it wasn't about a guitar, but uh, for the sake of the story, it was guitar. Now what's funny was, is I, then I laughed and the owners of the company said, "Brand was standing there. Rick had left to do the tour with somebody else." And I said, "That's funny." I go, "I think he would kill if he, if you did a signature product with him." And they go, "Yeah." They go, "No, we do signature real like real signature artists instruments, and they don't sell that great, you know." And so I said. Yeah, no, I think, I don't think you understand. He would kill because I said, there's a difference between these YouTube channels and artists. Artists can inspire people through their albums and songs and stuff. And of course that helps. I said, but you have to understand there's a personal connection between these channels and the audience. And part of that personal connection starts with just the fact that we were staring at the audience. I said, you know, when you're a rock star on stage, you're staring at a crowd. You're not staring at a person. When you're an actor, you're staring at each other. Like, you know, they don't look at the cameras. Um, YouTube channels are like the news. They're kind of staring at the camera. And so it feels personal. Like us right now, we're making eye contact with each other, um, looking right at you guys. (laughs) So, um, and, uh, that, and then of course this, this kind of live environment and all this stuff, I said, it's a very different experience. And I said, one, that was my first point. My second point was, I said, I thought they were, I personally thought that, um, (laughs) they <laughs> personally thought that the reason they said they wouldn't they were going to say they wouldn't do a signature instrument with him was it would cost too much like he would charge too much and then i said so i i said that to them i said i yeah and they they laughed and i said well what do you think he would charge and uh they then because that this is kind of like not appropriate to tell you guys they said oh well we pay this artist this and i said yeah he'd want four times that that'd be my guess. And then they laughed and said, no way. And I go, way. Now here's what's funny. Why would show that share a story was one it's kind of funny, but also the core of the, the story that's important is then not even six months later, he announces he's going to be with Gibson, the biggest brand out there. And he's doing this guitar. And of course they sold him out and now people are flipping them. And I'm like, oh, and, uh, that's a big, so right now I doubt the company that, that I was talking to was watching the show and or ever watched the show, but if they're watching the show, see, I told you <laughs> not, not like you missed out. I'm not saying you missed out on money or anything. I'm just saying like, see, I was, I mean, my point was very relevant because he's definitely proved that point that day that he did exactly what I said. He was able to pull big numbers. So very, very cool. Um, uh, and that being said, uh, there you go. Um, uh, and I can tell you right now, I would never pay $3,500 for one of his guitars. Uh, 19, if I was in the, if I was in the market for it and wanted it, uh, I would do it. I, I think for two grand, I got to play it or have a sense of it that I want it. Uh, but there you go. That's my, um, that's my uh, story. I thought I'd share with you. And one day I would love to tell you the story that Rick Beato told us that was hilarious about another factory he was at. And I will figure out how to tell that story to you. But like I said, it's his story. So it's not like I'm involved in the story. He just related to me and I thought it was interesting. So, uh, uh there you go. And that was my one time I met Rick Beato. He was very nice. <laughs> and, uh, and since I told you that story, I'll tell you the last thing. My only thing I said to him was, uh, we were talking about making videos again as a community he wasn't talking to me directly we we're talking as a bunch of channels at the table and uh i said one of the things i don't enjoy the most in the videos is playing and he said why and i said i don't know i'm not very good <laughs> and he said "Watch practice more <laughs> and i was like uh Uh, I actually, it was funny. And I think I said something like, I I said, well, I I was trying to relate to him. Like I was trying to be humble. Like, obviously I'm not a a player, obviously on the level of the guys at the table. I mean, that's basically what it was. I was like sitting at a table with Rhett Shaw, RJ Rinquillo, and Rick Beato. I was trying to explain, like, I'm not on that level by any means. So I'm like, you know, there. And, um, and instead it was, it backfired. Cause like I said, I thought he'd be like, you know, oh yeah, you know, (laughs) you're okay. Instead he's like, go, why don't you practice? I'm like, so I did, by the way, if Rick Biotto ever sees this because somebody sends him a message about it, I doubt he will. Um, I am practicing, Rick. And in fact, I started practicing a lot more after that because, um, you know, if Rick Beato tells you you should practice, you probably should. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Mike says, you're pretty good, uh, plenty good for playing demos. Yeah, I think that's, I think, I, I agree. I think, to me, demos are, to me, a sweet spot of, if they're too good, then I, they're, you're watching them play and that's just amazing, but that's not the product. And if they're not good enough, you can't tell if they're making the product worse. I agree. I think, I actually personally think for product review demo, you want to be right in the middle, (laughs) slightly, not even better than average, just average, average guitar player. Okay. Uh, Randy, uh, I just grabbed your, saw your comment and it grabbed on your head. I saw Thank you for putting the question marks first it says, Hey, Phil, uh, any particular reason Sweetwater doesn't sell sterling basses? They don't sell sterling guitars either. I do not know why. And when reason why I wanted to mention that right now is because I'll timestamp it or, or at least I make note of it. And, um, uh, I didn't ask Sweetwater when I was there and I'm really, I forgot to, cause I thought that was really important. I don't know why. Cause they carry music man and they don't carry sterling. So I'm not sure what the decision, excuse me, a little hiccup. Uh, I'm not sure what the decision was there. I do know that Sterling, uh, this is what I know about Sterling, if you don't know. Sterling instruments are made by Praxis. It's a different company than Music Man. So it's not like, uh, uh, like Paul Reed Smith guitars has the PRS SEs and Jack Higginbotham runs PRS SE at PRS. And, you know, of course they have Cortec make them and then they go to PRS for setup and stuff. My understanding, and things change and this information could become dated, but uh, my interaction with Sterling and Praxis, the guys at Praxis, which I'm pretty sure Praxis either through family connections or just flat out own, own their Orangewood. Which is why you'll see like a channel like mine. I did Sterling and then all of a sudden I did Orangewood, because they were talking to me about Sterling and then they're like, Hey, would you like to check out Orangewood? That's how that came about. A lot of channels you'll see, you'll probably see a lot of channels if they did Orangewood, they did Sterling because those are connected that way. That's how this works. You know, once you have a, a relationship with a company, you're like, Hey, what other things can they send you to to do videos about? So um, uh so sterling is praxis. So my my guess is that not only does Praxis make those instruments, and Praxis has made instruments for a ton of companies. They used to even, for a short time, do BC Rich. Um, Praxis, and uh, Praxis did the original OLPs too as well. So Praxis does Sterling, and I, I'm pretty sure Sterling goes from the factories overseas to the U.S. in Praxis facility. And I would imagine, and other than a couple example, minor examples, like I'm pretty sure if they still make it the, um, Jared Dine's Sterling guitars, that's why they were sold direct from Music Man to consumers and not through dealers. I think those were held in-house in other words. But I think if you go to Music Man's facility, there's not like a warehouse full of Sterling. Sterling's held at Praxis. So I think Praxis like opens them, checks them, sets them up. Um, The ones that were sent to me, the Sterlings, and I've had four Sterlings, I think, three or four Sterlings sent to me. All of them were sent to me by Praxis, from Praxis, and adjusted setup from Praxis. Like, there's. I have no relationship with Music Man because Music Man Sterling's not connected to Music Man. So, although I have a good relationship with Sterling, I can reach out to Sterling Music Man, which is Praxis, and say, "Hey, let's get a guitar on the channel." I cannot get a channel a guitar from Music Man on the channel. That's why I bought every Music Man on the channel. Um, I met the Music Man guys and I started the ball uh, ball rolling on a relationship, but I haven't had a, you know any response to any emails. So we'll see. Like they get busy you know, the last thing in the, the, their, their highest priority is not some random YouTube channel who wants to review their stuff. Uh, how are we doing? We're doing good. Okay. Let's get back on to, on to, uh, the next subject. Um, the, uh, this one, uh, this one was, uh, I think it's from Jeremy. He says, and I could have it space wrong. So if it's Jeremy, if it's not you, I, I apologize. Any advice for playing or caring for a Les Paul with a headstock repair? If your headstock repair was done correctly, you should have to make no adjustments to that. It's fine. So yeah, don't drop it again. (laughs) You know, some people will go, it's stronger than before. I wouldn't drop it. I wouldn't test it by dropping it. But what I will tell you is that anything that would break a headstock will break it after you glued it, but nothing less than that. Does it make sense? So to say that it's stronger is important. It's important because a lot of people tell you it won't break, you know, it won't break where they glued it that's technically true because the glue is stronger. However, what I would just say to keep things safe is if you have a headstock repair and it was done correctly, uh, then whatever you would do to a normal headstock, good and bad, you're fine. You don't need to take any extra precautions. Just play the guitar and enjoy it. Rock stars. Think about this. Uh, Dimebag Daryl broke off the headstock off his guitar three times. (laughs) There's stories about that. They break them off and they put them back on. Um, And, uh, so, I mean, it's, it's not a big deal. Um, I couldn't tell you all the headstock repairs I've done. I don't think I've ever had one come back as a problem ever, but I mean, you know, I, you know, we say that out loud, you're kind of, now I'm rolling the dice. Somebody's going to come out of the blue and go, remember my headstock repair? Uh, but, but yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty safe and strong. Okay. Um, uh, the, the uh, next uh, subject that I grabbed was from Battlin' Buck. Hey, Phil, where can I find an electric guitar with a wider string spacing than 43 millimeter nut? Why is it so ignored, although important aspect of the neck? You're not the first or going to be the last person to ask me for a wider neck. There are guitar companies that make wider necks you said electric guitar. So of course, acoustic guitars have much wider nuts. And of course, classical guitars are going to be pretty crazy. 50 millimeters, I think on a classical guitar neck, I think maybe 52 or 53 millimeters. So we get that wide. Um, uh, that's, you know, so I'm pretty sure I'm right. That's, I mean, those numbers are pretty darn close. Who's, you know, what's a millimeter between friends. So, um, uh, but on that note, uh, let me pull it up. So you have it. Um, if you can't find a brand that makes a wider neck, uh, just be aware that Warmoth makes them. So you can buy a lot of the Warmoth necks in different widths. Uh, and uh, obviously 41, 42, they, uh, m- they call it the modern medium, 43, which is you know what you're saying is standard. The wide is 44, but then the super wide is 48 millimeters. So that's pretty wide right there, as you can see right there, 48 millimeters. Um, like I said, 48 millimeters, super wide neck. I mean, a classical guitar is going to be fifty millimeters to fifty-two millimeters, something like that. So, like I said, so I mean, it's going to be feel, it's going to feel pretty substantial to you. Um, I have recommended this neck. Oh, sorry, guys, I've got to get back to my screen. Uh, I have recommended this neck to others in the past. It has worked really well. Um, it is a really good idea to get a neck like this if you have a Squire or Mexican-made Fender or some kind of guitar that you can generically put this neck on before you buy some expensive guitar, because that's usually what it is. To get a neck this wide, uh, a, a good friend and customer named John uh, really wanted this wide neck, and I suggested this neck to him. He bought one. He absolutely loved it. It became the thing. He couldn't even play his other guitars, and then he had a builder build him one, and he knew exactly what he wanted. So, um, Yeah, Eddie says 48 millimeters. Is that seven string standard width? crazy? Basically. Yeah But you can understand some some people have big paws man. That's just how it works Uh, Um, you know big digits big fingers big hands I mean, you know, we all come in different sizes and it it's as uh, and that's why like I said Uh, you know, that's what's great about guitar necks. Sometimes your small hands It's a pain in the ass and you want a smaller neck and sometimes you have bigger hands and it's pain in the ass and you want a bigger neck so um the uh the, what? That's it. (laughs) That's my advice to you. Check that out. I just wanted to recommend that to you and let you know that I've had experiences. Uh, Neuro Apathy says, my eight string has 45 millimeter width (laughs) or 45, 45. Yeah, so that that, that tells you right there. I mean, it can get pretty obnoxiously wide. I mean, that's eight strings, but um, somebody probably is going to ask this because I always get asked this whenever we talk about this. Could you buy a seven string and convert it to six? You absolutely can. I've actually done one for a customer uh, they got it themselves like a $200 used seven string. And uh, I cut a new nut. It was not a Floyd style guitar. Cause that's where the nightmare would begin. Uh, this one was a, um, I think it was an agile, like I it was, I don't know. It was one of these off-brand ones. Uh, I cut a new nut. Um, and, um, I had to use a, just a piece of actual, uh, cow bone and cut it. Cause I needed it wide enough, cut it out, did the nut, put it on there. Um, and then I, what I did on that guitar, uh, cause the headstock was just black and it was easy. I, uh, doweled all the, the seven holes, uh, and then blended it. And then, um, we painted it black. Cause again, I can paint black. It's that's, you know, I can't paint, but I can do like that. And then, um, we drilled six new holes and then we mounted a hardtail uh, six, uh, six string bridge and, um, the pickups, we put six string pickups in it. Um, and I think if I recall at $200 for the tar, it was probably 300 something dollars in labor and then parts. I mean, he was into that guitar for $600 and, um, I don't know if he liked it or not. I mean, I got the impression he, I mean, he liked it the day he picked it up, but whether he kept it and kept playing it, I don't know. Um, but you know, I wouldn't recommend that. That's what I told him, you know, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, we can do it. Uh, so, and I think I gave him a deal too. Cause I think I was like, oh, okay. Cause stuff like that. I was like, all right, I'm willing to do it. If you're willing to do it, it's kind of like, it'll be fun for me. And you know, sometimes, you know, take you away from the dreary, like, okay, we're setting up yet another Squire. (laughs) You know what I mean? You get used to certain guitars always coming in for the same things. Um, uh, Karen says, Hey, should I look for used pickups or is it best to buy new? It is absolutely best to buy used. You will save a ton of money. I don't even know why pickups devalue so much. It's hilarious. Um, there's only a couple things you want to do. Look, there's a couple things if you're concerned about a used pickup. There's two things you can do to ensure that you're going to have a good used pickup experience. One, make sure there's enough lead wire. Now, there's wire coming off of it. Um, that's a pretty easy thing to figure out. If it's not, you can put an extender wires on them, whether it's four conductor or two conductor, or you can have new wires installed on the base plate. You know, it take off the base plate and install new wires. But that. I wouldn't go down that road. Uh, It's not going to be that at that time. Damn, you're not saving a whole lot. But like I said, make sure there's enough lead wire off that thing. I would say, I don't know, six inches. You just don't want them super short because you can put extensions on them. Um, The longer the lead wire, the better. That's one. The second thing is, is uh, make sure it works. And of course, if you have a credible buyer and you have a recourse, if you get the product and it doesn't work, the pickup doesn't work, then I don't think I'd worry about it. Like if you get on reverb and stuff like that, and the return policy seems normal and not like, Hey, you buy, you you know, suck it. Um, h- however, if you do not have a recourse a, uh, from a, from purchasing used, um, have them test it with a multimeter. It's a very simple thing. I have a thousand videos on that. Hey, you can go watch. Anybody can get a, uh, uh, if you don't have a multimeter, a multimeter you can get one on Amazon or Harbor Freight. And they're dirt cheap and they pay for themselves because, uh, you know, learn to test some pickups to make sure they work. Learn to test components to see if they work. That's a lot faster, cheaper, and smarter than just randomly, you know, people just touching for sound. Just use a multimeter. You'll, t- you'll, you'll, know. <laughs> you'll know if you're getting signal through it. So that's it. And yeah, absolutely. Um, I buy most of my pickups used save a ton of money and get better quality pickups. Sometimes you can get really cool older pickups that are nice before they make certain changes. Because remember, pickups are no different than anything. They're not, the new ones aren't not as good. It's just sometimes they have to change components for physical reasons because they can't get certain components anymore. And there's something cool about having the older ones. And then uh, the, the Hopo says, plenty of fake used pickups out there. Well, this is absolutely true. Th- this is true. There's fake everything out there. Again, that's why, like I said, you want to use a credible seller and, uh, and a credible site so that you can do that. Um, it's very easy to verify if a pickup's real or not. They they When they copy pickups, they're not very good at it yet because all they ever copy is the aesthetics. So the th- things will make sense real fast when it doesn't meter out the same way. It's not the same type of wire. But again, I would stick with reverb on used pickups. That's where I get mine. And again, from credible sellers with a history that you can trust. That's about as simple as it gets. That's way better to me than, than all the other things like having to test pickups. I'm worried about all that stuff. Like I said, if you have a recourse or if you get a defective product, you have a recourse, a place to go for a solution, then there's not a whole lot of risk on a thing that can cost you 50 to a hundred dollars. I mean, let's just be honest. I know I'm not saying 50, dollars hundred dollars, 50 to hundred dollars, not a lot of money. I'm just saying, you know, Taking a risk with fifteen hundred dollars on a, on anything that has an ability to go back and have and have uh, some kind of re- resolution to your problem is not the biggest chance to take in life. Yeah, Tyler says buy the seller, not the item. Absolutely, I agree with you one hundred percent. Like I said, I assess the sellers more than the the product every time. That tells me everything. Okay. Uh, um. Hold on. Oh, Can says, hey, hand or machine is better for pickup bombs?" Uh, I think machine. Um, I think the, look, I someone who's making some pickups, like I said, I do my limited runs of my of my uh, Black Sock pickups. Um, I like the hand vibe. <laughs> I mean, I do. Handmade pickups are great. Um, they have, uh, but usually in my experience, what makes a hand... Made pickup better is usually not that they're made by hand it's usually that we're just when you make smaller runs of pickups you have less access to cheaper crappy materials i mean that's and i and so that's what i'm saying like when you look at a lot of machine made stuff i mean i'm not talking about like how gibson's gonna make their pickups or or dimargio seymour duncan i'm talking about like you know all these off-brand guys they have access to buying in bulk and when they buy in that big of a bulk they can change specifications to the point where they can go okay let's go with a different kind of wire let's go with a different kind of uh bobbin but that all being said i think uh me personally i i would bank on a machine making a better pickup than a person in my opinion um the um one of the things i loved is uh a couple companies over the years uh including paul reed smith guitars is have kind of like dabbled in the idea of marketing this idea that they can make a pickup consistent, right? Tune capacitance inductance inductance to me is just basically saying consistent. It's like when somebody says, I fine-tuned this, right? They finely tuned something to, you know, right? This is finely tuned. Tuned capacitance inductance. Obviously, the pickups have capacitance and they have an inductance. So the fact that a pickup has capacitance inductance isn't new. So what is new in the tuned capacitance inductance statement? Tuned. <laughs> tuned means exactly that, right? It means precisely calibrated, right? Tuned is I would say it's a slang term for calibrated, right? It's tuned to this, right? Um, like your guitar is tuned to something. So tuned means that specifically that he's, they're making this pickup a specific way, but more importantly, they're doing it consistently. The marketing on that is fancy marketing to basically say that I think what PRS Guitars is trying to say, and some of the companies have done this too, including Seymour Duncan, DeMarzio and a few others, is that they can make a pickup exactly the same over and over again. It's a very hard thing. I've told you guys, when I make pickups in small batch runs, it's very hard to keep them consistent. Is as consistent as I can, and I get them pretty darn close. But I do that through the crappy way of sometimes I have a lot of pickups that are outliers that are just they, I gotta, they're my spare parts to go back and use them, recannibalize them for something else, or they're just dead. And so they can give you consistency in pickups. This idea that there's a magic pickup, sure, of course. <laughs> magic meaning, yeah, is it the right one? It sounds great, sure. Can it be replicated? I absolutely uh, think it can. I think anything can be replicated. Um, You know, it just depends on how much money it costs to replicate it. But in most cases, it's cheaper to replicate it. So that's where I think the machines are better. But for some reason, the guitar community hates that idea. Consistency and the guitar community are at odds. <laughs> the more a company talks about the fact that every single guitar player will have the same good experience, the more the guitar players think that's a bad thing. It's They're not entirely wrong, but they're definitely not right when they say and think that. And they definitely think that because every company is, has been beaten with that mentality of oh they're just generic or they have no soul geez that's the that's one like I, if you make your guitars to every guitar is the same they go oh it has no soul uh, or I say soul let's say we we'll call it personality right it has no personality sure but what they forget to tell you is that when guitars have personalities what you forget is it's a lot of them just like people have bad personalities <laughs> sometimes when guitars aren't consistent I, you get a bad one and it sucks so although it's nice when you get the good one Let's be honest. Whenever we talk about good anything, it means very few of you are getting it. It means that most of you are getting something that's average or less than average. So consistency is the best way. And and uh, and through the years of going to factories, wh- what I will tell you is that the factories that impress me are the ones that can seem to focus on that and getting the gra- a good product. I s- notice I don't say great because it's like, you know, it's just, they're looking for the C average. They're looking for a good product every time. And, um, it, I find it, it, it is consistent. Uh, our consistency is the value. And, um, and, uh, if you don't, if you don't, uh, if you don't, um, understand the, how hard consistency is, uh, somebody, uh, I just saw somebody said JB and 59 has soul. So, Uh, that's a great statement. I like the JB 59. Look at the JB is a good example. If I was to take 10 JB pickups from Seymour Duncan and put them on the meter, you'll notice there's a variance in each one. They're never the exact same. And, um, I've told, I've talked to people like this. Uh, I, I use this as an analogy for the analogy purposes only. Let's say that you make a product and, and, and this, in this analogy, we're going to say that the product puts out just this generic number, uh, puts out a, a six, okay. And the company says that's our goal is to make the co- the product put out the number six every time, even though I'm holding up five fingers. Um, and if the pickup, in this theory of the pickup, if a pickup puts out a seven, we can pass it from QA, so it's good enough. And if it puts out a five, we'll pass it, okay the variance of six to five and six to seven is not very much. I'm using, like I said, this is a pickup analogy. So that's fine. However, when somebody says, man, this pickup sounds a lot different, it's because remember, somebody could have a six and somebody could have, uh, uh, I'm sorry, somebody could have a five and somebody can have a seven. And the difference from five to seven is much different. So that's the thing about variances. Like I said, a little high, a little low, from the center is not that bad. But when you go from those extremes, it gets, and that's why that how far that variance is. Now imagine if the same company said in this analogy, our goal is to get a six, but we'll take an eight or a four. And now we're only talking about two variants of two from six to eight. But now keep in mind, somebody out there has a four and somebody else has an eight. That's a huge difference. You see what I'm saying? The tolerances of setting those tolerances of consistency can have a dramatic effect but just moving them a little bit. And when you go to the factories, and I hope that analogy makes sense. I know it was very generic, but I just want to keep it easy since I don't have any illustrations to show you or anything. Um, that's why I said when you go to factories, you can see how just moving the tolerances just a little bit from the goal can make extreme outliers if you have two of the same instruments, two of the same pickups, two of the same pedals. So consistency is the key to success, I think, uh, for making good stuff. Okay, Don says, hey, Phil, can you recommend a guitar stand that will not damage a guitar with nitro finish? I had a bad experience with a Gibson Les Paul special in a fret rest stand. Uh, it left marks on the body. Um, I only use string swing and string swing style products. Uh, I am not sponsored by string swing. Um, I, these string, all these hangers are string swings. I use the Zither stands, which I've done a video on. They make their stands in Texas and they use string swing, uh, hangers. Um, what I will tell you is I have, I have a, I have Gibson custom shops, Fender custom shops, I'm only saying this for illustration purposes of, 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 my, um, what do you call it? My, I don't know how much I believe in this stuff. <laughs> uh, my ES335, there's some expensive guitars behind me hanging on the wall that are nitrocellus lacquer. Oh, my PRS blue PRS is nitrocellus slacker too. Um, those guitars are nitro. They are on the wall. They are on my string swings. They cost me a lot of money and I really, really care about them. And, uh, that's what I use. Does that mean that you will never have a problem? No. What I will tell you is some people say use a cloth like cotton cloth over them. I don't do that. I don't have anything like you said you can see the, they're on the they're just on the stand, on the hangers which again the zither stand would be the same exact hanger as what's on my wall. And um what I will tell you about nitro is that it's just important to not leave it there for extended periods of time. What's extended periods of time? I wouldn't do, I'd say a week, yes, and a month, no. In other words, anywhere in between that, you find the sweet spot. But uh, if you put it on a, on a hanger for a, a week or the stand for a week, no problems. For a month, I might start getting nervous. You got to understand what's happening, okay? What's happening when when what you're seeing the marks is, is that's actually heat the nitrocellulose reacts when it's deprived of oxygen. And that's why what the is the made of is important because certain types of materials, um, con- just like putting a plastic bag over your head, <laughs> you can't get oxygen anymore. Uh, the, the rubber pushes against the finish on the guitar and uh, the, the finish reacts to that. It gets superheated. It's pretty generic and it, but it's the way I understand it. And the importance of this is, is that the hangers and stands I use uh, don't seem to have that effect and haven't in all the years of you using them. I've never had an experience like that. However, what I will tell you is, is that it, what I'm saying to you is don't message me a year from now saying, Hey, I put it on for a year and I got two little light marks. I'm like, well, it's possible. It's possible. It's just not very likely, but it's definitely not likely if you move it every once in a while. Like I said, play the damn thing. <laughs> just play it. Just give it a break. Just let it play for a second. Uh, and that's it. And, um, that's it. And keep in mind, um, like I said, no problems with mine, and I trust this stuff. Uh, Both string swing and zither, but more importantly, string swing will not put a. I've talked to the owners of string swing. Sweet people, great company. Small little company in the U.S. They make all their stuff in the U.S. Best thing I can ever tell you. This is absolutely true, absolutely true story. That's why I love telling it. I went to them one day. I was how I met them was when I was in a, when I had my store. I was walking the NAMM show. I saw their booth. I was a dealer for them. I bought their stuff, but mostly you buy it from third party wholesalers. I walked up to him and I said, Hey, I just want to let you know, thank you for making a great product. I use it unconditionally. And what I loved is it had good margin on it as well, um, and and uh, which was tough because Guitar Center would sell them for half of everybody else, <laughs> but but people loved them so they would pay you know a small dealer the right price, uh, or the you know the price we needed to sell it at, and uh, they said thank you for saying that they said uh, and they said and the good news is obviously you don't have to compete with Guitar Center anymore, and I said no no Guitar Center carries your stands and they go as of this show they don't carry our stand our stands and hangers anymore Guitar Center still is not does not carry their ha- stands and hangers in their stores. Um, and the reason is is Guitar Center went to them and basically at that time, I think they were charging this to tell you the time difference. I think that at that time this, the hangers were selling for $388. I think it was in the high $3 range. It might have been in the low, $4 range, but it definitely was not higher than that, right? So i was paying three, let's say $4 per, per hanger. And you could sell them for $7.99. That's double your money. That was pretty good for a little small dealer, right? You know, put four in, get four out. That's good. So um, and I guess guitar center said, no, we want to pay two eighty eight. And they said, this year, we want to lower the price. And Stringstream's like, no, we're not going to do that. We can't do it. There's no margin in it. And then Guitar Center told them to go to China. And they refused. Um, and uh, they, didn't, they didn't want to change. And they still haven't changed. And they still make them. And, um, and uh, I applaud them for that. They make quality product. And what's great about that is, uh, I've been using it ever since I can remember. That, so that's why I recommend them. It's one of the few things. There's probably three things that I can recommend and feel that confident about. And that's one of them. So that's my suggestion to you. And um, there you go. <laughs> I was going to say, tell them I sent you, but I don't, I don't like I said, that, they might not even know who I am anymore. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So I don't know. I don't know. They might go, who, who's Phil McWhat? Okay, um, we're doing good. Okay, I think I got the majority of the early risers I was trying to get. What are you guys talking about? Again, if you're trying to direct any subjects or questions towards me, put the question marks first, and then I... S- <clears throat> Uh, Lucas, uh, says, Hey, Phil, are fender single coil pickups sold separate anywhere? Or are they always sold in sets? I never thought about that before. I think they're always sold in sets. So, uh, if they are sold singles, I haven't seen it, but that is something that if you just need a single, single coil fender pickup, you could call fender customer service and see if that's something they could provide and do. They might have that ability. Like I said, their customer service is pretty good. Um, they're in Arizona. They have a call center and the employees, like I said, uh, are pretty on it. Uh, one thing I like about Fender, there's a lot of things I like about Fender and that's one of them. There's a couple of things I don't like about Fender, but that ain't one of them. <laughs> like so their customer service is to me, it's on the better end of the industry. And before anyone says, well, I had a bad experience. Well, I'm just telling you that, um, as a whole, you'll have a better experience on average. Simon wants to know, what's my favorite whiskey? I just wanted to answer it. Uh, you know what's funny? I am, uh, uh, Woodford, uh, is what I, I, I like, um... I have tried all kinds of whiskeys and I told you, I'm assuming Simon has been watching the channel and the podcast for a while and knows that a couple years ago, uh, my buddy Ralph and I started experimenting with whiskeys and buying different whiskeys and trying them. And I even bought some crazy expensive whiskey. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, there was a couple expensive ones, but there was a couple like, this is ridiculous expensive. Um, And um, and, uh, that's what I decided I liked (laughs) and it worked out because I, I I can get it at the Costco, so uh, that's what that uh, that's what it is for me. I call it the soccer mom size bottle. It is huge. It is ginormous uh, bottle that you get at Costco, um, which is cool. Um, but I don't know if you guys know. I'll just tell you. Uh, my buddy Ralph comes over every Saturday. Uh, it's kind of like an open invitation. He just comes over and we usually barbecue or cook something. And the first first thing he does when he gets here is he he's got his own cup. I'm pouring myself water or whiskey. Maybe it's whiskey. No, it's water. And because um, my coffee is getting cold, um, and uh, he has his own special cup that my wife made him and stuff, and his and and his, and so he comes over and the first thing he does is he makes himself an old fashioned. And uh, I always have Woodford whiskey, so that's what it is. Uh, some of you guys are going to probably have some great suggestions. I'm sure there's better stuff out there, but uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm not a big whiskey drinker. So, like I said, I, I did it. Uh, you got to understand, during COVID, like a lot of people, I, I drank a little bit more um, because I was trapped in the house all the time. <laughs> and so you, when you're watching really crappy Netflix, a little nightcap really helps. And um, uh, But now that it, you know I get out more, it's not as prevalent in my daily life. I'm also a seasonal drinker. I feel weird saying it that way. I don't know if that, if there is a thing called a seasonal drinker. What I mean by that is throughout the year, I drink different things. Like when it's cold, I like a certain type of beverage, you know, uh, adult beverage. And then in the summertime, different things. So I don't know. There you go. So Kevin says, know your booze. Yeah. It's like I said, it's, I I do enjoy, uh, I do, I did enjoy trying all the whiskeys and, uh, and, um, And it was really a lot of fun. And I, like I said, I just kind of figured out that that was the one I liked. Um, Hold on a second. All right, let's go to refresh this. I know a lot of times people, especially newer people to the shows, like, what is he saying when he's, like, jumping screen? I'm jumping screens. I'm refreshing. I've talked about this before. I have multiple screens that I'm looking at. That's why sometimes when you're chatting and you guys don't – like, right now, I'm not seeing – I don't see the chat. I'm not looking at a screen uh, that is a chat. Like I said, I'll share it with you real quick. What I'm looking at right now is the Super Chat Sticker Activity uh, list, which ba- this is every super chat I've ever received since the, ch- since, uh, I think it goes back three years, but it definitely goes back a year. So that's how come I'm able to archive them when you guys super chat. That's what's important to me about super chats is that as I sometimes like, Oh, I'm, I'm looking for a subject and I can't find one. That's how I find one real fast. I know the super chats generally are better, uh, subjects because of the fact that, uh, Uh, what I've learned is, is that uh, you don't get a whole lot of people trying to give you five, 10 bucks just to say Baba Booey. You know what I mean? People tend to, tend to think out what they're going to, what they want to talk about when, um, put up a couple bucks. So it's nice to have them and I can go back to them and back and forth. But when I'm in this screen, I don't see the main chat. And then there's another screen, uh, which I'll show you here. Uh, Today's notes, uh, today's topic, see here, I have basically stuff that I I I grab I can grab so that's how what I'm looking at that's how I keep the uh, that's how I try and keep the flow of this going is I always have stuff uh ready to go and on any given show I can tell you right now so you guys don't feel bad I don't hit 10 percent of what I think is interesting you guys are talking about Uh, and absolutely and I just think two hours is already too damn long and you know three hours is just insane. So, all right. Zubin, what's up? Zubin says running a Marshall SV20 head into a 2061 CX cabinet. It's the same cabinet I have by the way, uh, which is the Marshall slanted 2061 cabinet. They don't make it anymore. It was rather expensive when they did. It looks like a 412. It's really a 212. Um, it is fizzy. Same amp into my Orange 212, no fizz. Is this the Marshall sound? Swap speakers. So what's in your? Mar- I don't have the original speakers in my 2061. I had uh, come to the same problem you had, um, and funny enough, an Orange 212 was the reason I had the same problem too. So the Orange 212 has two vintage 30s in it, and what I learned was, is that I just like the vintage 30s and the modern Marshall. So to me, it's like it's it's for me it's plexi, older Marshall vibe, maybe greenbacks, newer Marshall vibe, vintage 30s. Um, I just like greenbacks, greenbacks and vintage 30s. I just love those speakers, but vintage 30s are the speaker I use the most. Um, what's in the 2061 CX. I can't even remember anymore. It's like heritage something speakers. And I thought I read once when I first got it, that they're like V30s. And then over time, like you, I was like, you know, this cabinet has this, uh, you're saying fizz. I thought it had a high end sizzle, which could be fizz, like a high end tone to it. I just didn't love. And so, uh, one day I, uh, I got some vintage thirties and stuck them in there and, and I never looked back. So yes. Would you swap speakers? Yes. The great thing is, is that you have two choices. You can buy those new speakers and then box up the old uh, speakers because they're expensive uh, that are in the 2061 or, you can sell them off and eh, it's up to you. I sold mine off. Um, so I don't have them anymore. I I'm never going to sell that cabinet. So I've had that cabinet forever. In fact, like I said, the mojo tone cabinet I have is, is like a clone of that cabinet, which is why I have that clone cabinet, because I wanted a second cabinet and I just didn't want to spend a thousand dollars for a two twelve. It was insane. Antique rocker says, Fender says I need a noise suppressor it, like on you. <laughs> You called them up and they're like, sir, could you please? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Any favorites, difference between suppressors and noise gates? Um, You know, I'm going to say, I'm going to keep it easy and not get into noise suppressors and noise gates. What I will tell you is the one that I use and uh, besides the Boss one, obviously I like the Boss uh, noise suppressor, fine. It's a fine pedal. You can get it uh, uh, as a good deal. Uh, so if you can get your hands on one, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Some people have opinions about it either way. I have no opinions other than uh I bought one for 40 bucks and I mean I have it it's great. However, my favorite uh noise suppressor is going to be the uh the ISP decimator. This is this is a nice cuz look here's one used for 75 bucks. Here's another one for 75 bucks. Here's one used with the box uh 105, $75. Obviously poke around these are used and of course new you know you can get them new too for 100 hundred hundred and something. 13414 uh, makes me think that's not in the U S whenever you see a weird price point, Oh, California. So just a weird price, one thirty-four thirteen. 13. Usually when you see a weird number, numbers, cause they're, they're out of the the country and they're, it's the, uh, currency, you know, exchange is it makes it a weird number. Uh, but that, that pedal is, I would dare say industry standard quality. Uh, you know, there's not probably a, not a professional guitar players, uh, player on the planet that uses a noise suppressor, uh, that, uh, that doesn't have that pedal or the rack mount unit. Um, so I would just say, go with that. <laughs> and like I said, and if that's uh, more than you want to spend, then the Boss one, I would recommend that as well. Um, and I've never had the need to ever try a different one. I'm sure there's a ton of other great ones. Um, what I will tell you is, is um, I'm sure there's like some inexpensive ones from like Moore and other companies like that. Just never... I don't, I don't know. I've never, it's one of the downfalls of the YouTube channel is that it's not a whole lot of videos I can make on those. I mean, I guess if everyone's, if somebody sent me a bunch of them, I would do a, which one works the best, but I have never felt any longing need to replace the, either the ISP or the boss that I have. Both are more than adequate. In fact, like I said, I know the, I, I know, I know the ISP is better. I, I know everybody thinks the ISP is better and it probably is. However, I use the boss one most of the time just because it's right there next to my amps. It's cheap, <laughs> it works, so, hmm. Okay, next, next is Jeff. He says, looking for an amp with gain, master, bass, metal, treble, and reverb. Any ideas? Oh, there's a lot of amps. That's uh, to be used for practice. Sure, I uh, yeah, so you just want basically m- m- volume, <laughs> volume reverb. Uh, there's tons of amps, everything. I mean, that's, I understand Jeff, where you're going with this, it's kind of out there. I mean, I think maybe where you're going is if you're looking at a lot of fender amps, a lot of fender amps are going to just have like a, a high and a a low, your frequency bass and treble and no mids. So you may want to stay away from those, especially on the clean sides. But I mean, there's tons of amps out there. I'm trying to think like what amp would I recommend? without any more additional information. Cause it gets a little tricky, that's pretty, pretty big. It's like, I feel like the palette that you gave me to paint on is as big as I want it to be. So let me, let me pick something that I, I think I would use and trust. I think the Hot Rod Deluxe, <laughs> eh, something like that. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, yeah, the Tremonti amp's really good. I mean, I've reviewed a ton of amps. If you're looking for solid state, there's a ton of amps. Um, I mean, that's a pretty big palette. So I would say, I don't think there's a whole lot of bad amps with that, with those features. It's not hard. It's not a hard thing to find, is what I'm saying. Just stay away from some of the vintage-esque Fender amps that just don't have the middle control. That's, I think, the big thing you're missing right there. Brandon says, first time, long time. I love your... Uh, affable worldview about how gear passion fits into the big picture your uh guaranteed kindness and integrity thank you i appreciate the the compliment it was really nice of you um the next one is i'm going to say Eisen said, Eisen said, says Phil just got my 40th anniversary Squire Strat and going to swap out the pickups to Fender 5762, but I want to put single coil size humbucker in the bridge, which you say I like the DiMarzio chopper in the bridge. It's a fantastic pickup. Here's why I think it's because it's to me when I think, um, uh, and I think I've told you the story before I started out with humbucker, you know, single coil size humbuckers. I started out using DiMarzio pickups. Um, just the time, you know, in in my life, you know, when DiMarzio was like the thing. And so I got one and I got the Fast Track and the Fast Track 2 and the Chopper and, you know, a ton of others. Um, I always liked them, but I hated the way they looked. I always thought they looked, you know, at the time there was like modern, cool looking, right? Oh man, hold on. And I didn't like the way they look. So I ended up getting the Seymour Duncan. I like I got the JB, the little 59. And then this is what happened to me with the Seymour Duncans. And they're good pickups, don't get me wrong. However, I was doing it from aesthetics. I wanted, you know, I didn't like the blades because the blades look too, like I said, modern looking. And then I found myself like getting every, the pearly gates, all the, even the custom shop mini uh, Seymour Duncans and never feeling like I had, you know, a, a really good sound. I always feel like I always had a not as good, Humbucker, humbucker sound, and through this, uh, you know, you know, kind of journey, I came back, and what I really realized is, is that, and I've done a video on this if you want to watch it, where I compare mini humbuckers like those single coil size humbuckers to full size humbuckers, and you can realize that there's just no such thing as a single coil size humbucker that's going to do everything a humbucker does. So, if it's your only choice, that's all you got. Sure, will it do it? Sure. Does it have some qualities that are nice that a humbucker doesn't? Sure. However, what I realized for me was the chopper and some of the, especially the chopper for me is, is that it's like the best damn P90 humbucker ever. And now it's not just a cheaper sounding or not as good humbucker. Uh, it's, it's a P90. And that's what I really like about it. It's the P90 sound, so that's why I like it. Now, so you know, another thing is, uh, was it Joe Barden? I think he makes some too as well. Those are really cool too. Again, here's why it's it has to do with the design, the blades. The blades are significantly an improvement because you either way, if you get the um, uh, any of the other brands that make the mini humbuckers, uh, they they all basically using the same type of magnets and ba- achieving it the same way. So. I kind of just, like I said, I kind of came to the conclusion that's what I like it for. And that's what I use. That's why I use them. But that being said, not a huge fan of them. Like I said, I'm not a huge fan of the, uh, I, I've tried them all. I have them all downstairs in the shop and they're a necessary evil. You know, like you said, you want it in a guitar and I know some artists use them and stuff. And I, like I said, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying it's not, you know, you don't see any of them really in my guitars. In fact, I think I only have, uh, my... Uh, Kiesel Delos has a uh, mini humbucker in the neck, and I have a chopper mini humbucker in the bridge of one of my strats, and that's it. Other than that, I don't use them. Oh, um, that Ibanez behind me has one in the neck, too, has a mini humbucker, because again, see, I had no choice. That's where it went in there, so that's my suggestion, but I love the chopper. Okay. I'm reading this question. Kevin says, what is the best valuation tool for guitars and gear valuation tool? Like to figure out what something's worth Uh, reverb, um, eBay too. Cause you can look in the history of the auctions for sure. But reverb as well. Uh, you know, you could pick. But any any of the online auction sites give you, like we did earlier, give you the ability to see what was sold, and that gives you an idea of what stuff's worth. So if I was going to value something, that's that's how I do it. I go look to see what people are asking for it, especially in in the world where you need to know the current marketing price. Yeah, I mean the market fluctuates on used gear all the time. Um. Grumpy Mike says he's playing hooky from work. Good for you. <laughs> you know what? I have no problem with that at all. Um, I, I plan to do it soon as well. <laughs> not, not, not next week. Week after, I'll probably think I'm going to do it. Uh, Landon says, hey, Phil, did you ever mention the Rescue Strat video? No, I didn't. Uh, so, so Landon had reached out, sent me an email, I think two weeks ago because I think it was uh, the first week we missed it. But then again, like I said, there's still a bunch of stuff I am not getting to on these, on lists. I have a list of things I have to get to. Um, and uh, what it is, is, I'm going to share it with you. I think I can just go to, to Landon's e video. Um, so basically there's this, there you go. There's these videos and I'm kind of somewhat aware of them. Uh, in other words, like I've seen them too. Here's one. I'm going to just go. Here's to, so you can see his channel. So it's uh, so fake. It's embarrassing, exposing Fender Stratocaster. Um, I think there was even an article about this. I think he was mentioning too, Landon was mentioning. So basically, this is a thing. Uh, the Gatologist did one on amps uh, probably the same channel or there's tons of channels like this. Um, if you haven't seen it, like there's tons of channels where they're like, ah, they, they find an old hot wheel or they find an old, you know, blender or they find a guitar and they find all this stuff and it's like caked in mud and they're gonna, and it looks fake as hell. Every time it looks so fake. And I think it's about people. I, I think it's like ASMR. I think people just like watching the process of something get fixed. Cause I was, I'd watch one of those every once in a while watching them going, I'm not sure what it is, I'm getting out of this because it's like obviously looks fake and staged and it's not really like a repair thing. It's more like they're just cleaning off mud and cleaning stuff. And some of the stuff they do doesn't even make sense. In other words, like they would do it and I go, well, that wouldn't do that. (laughs) That wouldn't clean that or fix that. What are they doing? Um, So a lot of those rescue things. So um, I think uh, Landon was pointing out that obviously these things are obviously fake. And of course, you know, it's, it's always a, I think it's because it's more personal now that it's guitars and things that are in our genre and not so much like, uh, you know, who cares if it's another thing that outside of us that, you know, somebody's fixing up a blender, who cares? But when it's a guitar, it's like, kind of feel like, you know, uh, I, I think the big concern, and I'm, again, I've only watched a few of those videos. A big concern I would only have is that, um, is that I wouldn't want anybody watching that and then, doing some of the things they're showing you to do. Uh, that's, that's a, that's where I get concerned. But so, you know, I've, I've had this for years now doing this, you know, I said this gig and one of the things that I will tell you, and, and this is going to sound strange. And in fact, to the point where I don't even know how I'm, if I want to go down this road, sometimes that's what you hear in my tone is like, I'm slowing down because I'm thinking more than I'm talking. Cause I'm not sure I want to say the things I'm going to, that I'm thinking, so I'm going to say them. You know, I, I don't know how uh, you would want, I don't know how to tell somebody to be successful. I don't, you know, everybody gauges what success is differently. And, but what I will tell you is for me, is the only way I found any way to any moderate kind of success, whatever that success is. And again, everybody's going to have a different line of what success is. Okay. Um, most, in my opinion, most success is really where you came from and where you are and the journey that, you know, the journey you've taken. And, um, and my wife and I, like I said, I've mentioned this many times that I've had, we were known each other since junior high. We were dear close friends. We didn't start dating until we were 20, 21, 22 years old. Um, is when we, we decided we were going to date. Why that's important is we were both super poor, <laughs> super poor. I think at one point, like I was just living in my truck. Like I was homeless for a while. I actually it was homeless. Uh, you guys know I joined the army. This is what led up to that. I was homeless and, uh, I was working at that time as a day labor service. I was sorting, uh, recycled trash down in Tucson. So I would, uh, go drive down in the morning cycle. They would pay you at the end of the day, cash. You could get your cash payment at the end of the day. Cause it was day labor service. And then I would go put gas in my truck and, um, drive my uninsured ass down to this, uh, bridge, which was very rural. So it's like, I didn't have to live downtown and I would just sleep in my truck. And, uh, and it was, it was nice. Cause I lived in Tucson. It's not like I was freezing or anything. <laughs> it, was, it was nice. And then from that, I got a job and, you know, kind of moved, uh, progressed. And then of course got to join the army and stuff. So like I said, success is going to be different for everybody where you were, you know, to the day, like I said, I had a siphon gas out of my truck and put it in my wife's car because my truck's engine went through a rod and it was done. To the day where maybe I can buy myself a Gibson R nine. Maybe that's a thing. I don't know. But the reason I, the reason I'm telling you this, and what this ties into this video, and what I see on YouTube that's interesting to me is, I don't. I find the one thing I know to do for myself is be a master of your craft. And again, I don't. I don't want to come off preachy like I'm giving advice here. This isn't advice for you guys. This is. I'm telling you my thought process and what I see. I don't care what you do. I think you should be the master of whatever that craft is. If you're if you're a guitar repair guy, be the best damn guitar repair guy you could be or gal. If you if you are a guitar player, be the best guitar player you can be. Okay? Doesn't mean to be the best guitar player. Be the best guitar player you can be. Master your craft. Be the best person you can be. Be the best parent you can be. Doesn't mean the best, but the effort there, master it, learn about it, study it. I obsessively I, I am obsessive about all the things I care about to the point where there's probably an unhealthy aspect. That's why I said I'm not giving advice. I could probably uh, be analyzed and somebody to say this is the last thing you should do is what this guy's doing because I am extremely as you can see focused on on the things I love. The reason why I tell you this is that the one thing that happens on YouTube that is very strange to me as a guitar player, as a guitar uh, repair person. Cause again, I, I am on YouTube, but I look at it different. I look at it as like, I have this history of doing something. And then I shared what I did. No different than if I was a plumber for 20 years and said, okay, now I'm going to share all my, my thoughts on plumbing. I'm not saying I'm the best plumber. I'm just saying, this is what I did. This is how I made a living. Uh, I've told you guys very frankly and upfront this, these guitars behind me, this house, I live in my, my truck, my kids' educations was all purchased with the money I made in this business, repairing guitars, selling guitars, being in this industry. So it doesn't make me an expert. <laughs> it just says that, obviously, I, 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 can, I do this for a living. and that, So that's the qualifier. So the reason why I tell you this is I see this all the time um, because I make content. Sometimes what I see is videos fed to me, like these kind of videos, where it's horrible, horrible advice based on probably the fact that they watched another video, like these repair videos, like that cakey mud off a of guitar found in a fake barn kind of thing. And I tell you this because I don't know, and, I've, and I, I don't know how to give you advice on how to pay attention to this stuff, but what I will tell you is that I, I always remind you guys that a lot of the credibility that I have here is because I'm on YouTube. I've said this many times, because I have 100 million views Somehow that makes me credible. Um, I find that really it's not, and it, people refer to the fact that I've done this for a living. But that's not what gives me the credibility. Like I said, I'm not—I wasn't mentioned in Guitar World magazine almost thirty times because I'm a good repair tech. I was mentioned because I have a big YouTube channel. I'm not mentioned by a guitar company because I'm a good guitar tech. I'm or a good guitar guitar player. I'm mentioned because I have a big following on YouTube. And so that's why I tell people, like it you have to, and that's kind of I think where Landon's going with this, is that you have to, you have to look at stuff and just don't assume because it's on YouTube, especially that stuff, because this is why I tell you this is my concern. More so than like I said, I, I'm piggybacking on Landon's concerns because I think he's got some viable concerns. But one of the concerns I have is those all those videos get millions of views. And I think it's easy. And I don't care how old you are. If you're young, if you're older, I think it's easy to be influenced by the fact that it's like, I got a million and a half views because there's this thing on YouTube, and this is where I'm going. That I can't really explain why it works the way it does, but it does. Which is there's this assumption that it, if it was fake, if it was if it was not real, if it was, uh, you know, if it was wrong, it would be removed or people would call it out. And the reality reality is no. That has nothing to do with it because YouTube's an entertainment platform. At the end of the day, you're hanging out with me today. We do this podcast. It's about guitars, but it's about entertainment. If my voice was today, we are going to talk. If I was not entertaining, if I didn't try hard to entertain you guys, this would not go as far as it goes. So the fact that I try to be an entertainer is as valuable as having the ex- experience in my head that helps with the questions and stuff. So that's what I think, uh, is trigger triggers like <laughs> Landon and other people like uh, us, uh, is that when you're watching the fake stuff come in, it really, it really chips away at the credibility of what passionate people who are trying to master their craft are trying to share with you. And I think that's uh, it. And I feel like I said, I feel kind of preachy on that. And I, I hope you guys will give me a little, a little, a uh, little bit of rope on that one. You know what I mean? So, so, I, uh, because I just don't, um, uh, because I care about everybody. And I think Landon is what he's trying to do too. I think that's what happens when people talk, share this information. So, um, okay, let's go to the next subject. Thank you, Landon for the subject. Um, Frederick wants to know what's my favorite amp 15 Watts or less. That's easy, man. It's my Fender Princeton. It's like 12 Watts. I think it specifically says on their website, 15 Watts. I think it's actually 12 Watts you know, as I always say, what's three Watts between friends? I stole that. <laughs> I stole that saying, and I love saying it all the time. Uh, uh, I did an interview with Doug Sewell and he said that once if you guys watch that interview and, uh, we, I was talking about the true wattage of the Tremonti amp. And, and I think he said something like it was like, I think, I think the original statement was something to the fact that I think it's 10 Watts more. And he's like, but what's 10 Watts between friends or something like that. I just love that. And so I steal it all the time. It's a great saying. So, um, uh, Karsten, Karsten, I'm gonna say Karsten. Karsten says, "Really get to catch the live show session. This is a treat." F- cheers from Oslo. Wow, awesome! Thank you. That was the whole point was the kind of, kind of different time frame, different, different audience. A little fun that way. Uh, Keith says because it's not 12:45 a.m. in Scotland right now. That was kind of the point. So you guys know, there's no show tomorrow uh which is Friday the 23rd and the reason is is cuz I have a work project that I have to do. I'm going to be at a guitar factory tomorrow. Sadly enough, um you will see what it is. It's going to be at least a month or two before you see it and it's not a review or anything like that it has nothing to do with that. But it's um yeah <laughs> so obviously I have a work, uh, I have a work project to do. So I thought about it and I go, okay, what can we do? And I was going to do it remotely because I did the last two shows remotely when I was in Utah and when I was in Indiana. And I decided I was going to do this remotely too, since the, the factory has Wi-Fi and stuff. And I was like, oh, I can do it from the factory and it will be cool. And then what I thought about was I go, okay, it's not like you're going to get to see anything and I can't even disclose where I'm at. So you, they're going to probably put me in a office room <laughs> that was just be a blank wall behind me and then i thought well why don't i just do it a different time different day and i remembered oh yeah we did these uh these eastern or european time zone uh friendly episodes where we did a different day and uh and then the people who come tomorrow three can still watch this episode like you normally do and there's extra videos there's a video coming out later today um i'm actually excited about that video it's a video I did with the guys from Six Circle Hum. Uh, uh, we took the Sweetwater Sales Engineer test. My patrons already seen it. Um, the problem was it's sponsored by Skillshare and Skillshare has uh, specific Things that they want in the video when you do the sponsorship, um, you know, uh, and and uh, I'm very lucky to get the Skillshare gig. Uh, at least my opinion, um, I really like Skillshare. <laughs> I'm not feeling like now. I'm giving the Skillshare commercial, but what I'm saying is I like anything that's like uh, that's about learning. So as you guys like said, master your craft, right? I like things where learning expanding, and I think what you're going to see is makes sense. But more importantly, Skillshare offered to to sponsor three videos, and through a happenstance of time, this is the first one, but the next two are Sharpen My Axes. And I know that's something you guys have been asking about. And as you know, I've been a- not unable to get any guitar companies to sponsor Sharpen Max. And so the question became, could we get uh, something outside the guitar community to sponsor a video? Because the video is about the video. It's not about the sponsor. So uh, Skillshare is uh, one of those, like, you know, like, a lot of things, like you just mention it and you talk about it for a few seconds and then they that money is used to... Make a video that I think you guys are more interested in than sometimes than just doing the review stuff. Trying to keep it fresh, and it's really important for me to keep it fresh because otherwise I burn out, and then that's no good either. Not for me, at least. Rax, thank you for saying Baba Booey. <laughs> you weren't the only one because Danny said Baba Booey too. I go, I knew as soon as I said Baba Boo out loud, you guys would say Baba Booey. Uh, David says for all for all for all your bride does for the channel. Oh, you're talking about the wife. Thank you so much. She's actually uh, working on a patron project for me today. So that was, uh, uh, I got a bunch of new patrons and she's taking care of it. If you're a new patron and you're watching this right now, she's probably sending you an email and asking you some questions about shirts and stuff that you want. Uh, Danny says, is it possible to jam 200 Watts into a two pedal? Um, no, not in, well, yes. Yeah. Yes. In fact, not only is it possible, it's been done. Um, 200 watts it would be it would be a class d power amp yeah you could probably do 150 to 300 watts the the imagine i'm trying to imagine in my head like the um thomas Blue amp one i think is 150 watts somebody correct me it might be 300 watts um the um Taurus amps um are that way uh usually they're going to be a tube preamp some kind of tube in the preamp section. Um, actually I think the Thomas blue, the thing is the tube is in the power section, not the preamp section, but you know, there's different ways to get there, but yeah, they could use a 200 Watts, 300 Watts. I think 300 Watts is as high as they can go. They might be able to do 500 Watts as a preamp section or sorry, 500 Watts as a power section through class D it would be class D as a pedal. Um, but yeah, so basically I'm going to get in trouble for saying this like this, but it's two preamp solid state power section. Cause some amp guy's going to be like, that's not technically whatever, but you get the idea. It's not tube. Um, so yeah, it could be done and it is done. So yeah, it's possible, um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any other caveats to that. Not really. I was going to say maybe sometimes that powerful is not as powerful as like, uh, you know, an actual tube power section, but I mean, 300 Watts. Uh, Oh, Jim says the blue is 100 Watts. Okay. That makes sense. So that would probably, that would make sense. And then like, I think some, there's some out there that are 200 Watts, maybe even 300 Watts. And I I could be wrong. Like I said, I mean, hundred Watts is the highest. I I would imagine the biggest problem is, is, uh, is, um, somebody saying the thousand firehawks, a thousand, but it's not a foot pedal. I think they're talking about foot pedal, um, uh, like the EHX one. Some of you guys are talking about there's, there's obviously like, um, uh, Seymour Duncan makes one too. There's all kinds of powered, uh, pedals, but he's talking about a tube preamp or tube and pedal. There is hybrids. I just don't know how high the wattage goes. The issue is probably, if I was guessing it's heat, uh, that's the problem, right? And you got to dissipate all that heat. So I would imagine that's what's uh, holding back some paddles from having so much. Richard says, "What do you do with a 500 watt pedal? You rock and roll, Richard. You rock and roll." Now, uh, yeah, I, you know, uh, with uh, in my in my experience playing with other musicians, when you have uh, solid state or and or uh, class D type power amplifiers, um, the the wattage is not co- uh, directly connected to how loud they are. So saying a 1,000 watts really doesn't mean anything because I've been in a situation where um you have maybe a five hundred watt solid state amplifier and a hundred watt tube head is just crushing you. It's <laughs> just crushing you uh in volume, right? And cutting through in the mix and it's a different kind of thing. So uh like as a bass player, sometimes as a bass player, you would have like a thousand watt head and uh or fifteen hundred watts uh as a amp as an amplifier as a bass player, and you'd be playing and you'd be contending and I could then I could kind of a hundred watt tube head and no problem and put out a lot of low frequency. And that's as a bass player, but as a other guitar player, you, you tend to need a lot more of that solid state type wattage to get to the same place. I, I, you know, there's a lot of people will argue this as, as everybody tends to do on the internet, you know, about what the wattage means. I used to love how a uh, Roland, which is boss made a PA, a portable PA system. And what I loved about that PA system was that on the side of the box, they would say, uh, big enough for like 300 people in a room, and I was like, "Oh, what a great way of talking! Like, we should just stop talking in wattage and just talk about, like, literally not even how loud things get, but how much, how big of a room and capacity of people can this handle? So, like, arguably, wouldn't it be easier, in my opinion, if a hundred watt Marshall JCM hundred through a 412 was rated to fill a room with 500 people and effectively fill the whole room with sound?" then you could argue like oh okay and this amp has 300 people and this amp is 50 people and they just go up and and down and what it could do kind of like a pa and I, I think that's a kind of interesting way of looking at it but but without that in place what i will tell you is in my experience is that solid state needs to be 3 times what tube is minimum and that's for me to be comfortable so like if uh if a guitar player uh, said to me like hey i'm 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 playing tomorrow night i have a 50 watt tube combo and I wanted to bring a solid state amplifier with me because as I do, because they're sometimes a very light, I would want, I would want at least 150 to 200 watts and to feel like I was going to have the same, the same volume. But the reality of this is, uh, that wattage is not the the only thing that factors in how loud you are, it's also the t- the frequencies the amp lives in uh, cut through. That's why Marshall's cut through. Uh, anyone who's ever had the fun experience of having a really nice Mesa Boogie amp, which I love Mesa Boogies, but ever ha- I've had this experience, so I'm sure yeah, some others have. You have a nice 100-watt Mesa Boogie head, you're playing, it's loud, lots of distortion. The other guy's got a 100-watt Marshall head, and he's just cutting through. The whole audience just hears nothing but him because he's just right in those big mid-range frequencies. And... Uh, and you're in the scooped V frequencies more so um, where you're just the highs and the lows and you get a little bit in a lot more distortion. So that's that's the thing. The one thing I would tell you about the, I'm pointing at the Overdrive special, that Amplified Nation, I did that uh, Dumble uh, uh, inspired amp review. I didn't say it in the video, but I was talking to a friend when we were originally checking out the amp. And I, I, I said the one positive thing I could really say about that amp is if somebody had that amp on stage, I could tell you that I would not, I could tell you that they're going to, they're going to be the one that's heard. It really cuts, it really cuts to the mix. It really puts out the, 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 the frequencies that really, really kind of like find their way right through the cymbals, right through the bass player, right through the poor other guitar player who's probably playing a fender or something like that. Uh, this thing's going to be right there and every single note's going to be in front of the audience's face. So, I think if I was going to uh, play in a band with somebody who had uh, a, one of these style amps, I think that would be the one thing I would be like, okay. Now, could you, could you simulate that? Sure. Like I said, you could get pedals, EQ pedals, fine, kind of fine tune your amp. But that's the one thing that amp does really well besides being loud is it really cuts as certain amps do better than others. Okay. And then I thought I had, I do have, before we go, and we're kind of wrapping it up right now. And so, no more super chats, please. We got hiding reality, reality, uh, reality, reality. I can't see it here. Where they say hiding? It says I like the time change. Cheers. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's an honor, you guys. It's, like I said, the European uh, time zone friendly edition podcast. Um, the thing I wanted to share with you was this. A couple weeks ago, a viewer on the show super chatted me and asked me if they should get a Karina. V, Epiphone V. And then I said something stupid as I do. Uh, not only did I say, yeah, you should buy that, which was not the stupid part. I said, but if you buy one, I'll probably buy one too. And I think I actually see him trying to rephrase it a little bit, like like little softener was, but it's not, I said I'd buy one. So then they said, they sent me an email and they said, guess what? I bought one. <laughs> uh, so, uh, his name is Roger very nice. He goes by, uh, uh, oh, maybe it's not. Oh, it's, why does it say? Oh, it's funny. He goes by Jerry, the bedroom guy, guitar guy. So threw me off. Okay. What do we have to share? Here's his new beautiful V guitar. As you can see, it's a, it's an Epiphone Karina V really nice. He ended up pulling the trigger. Um, and uh, it's made in Indonesia, which was interesting. As, uh, I don't know if that's an older one or if certain Epiphones are now made in Indonesia as well. This kind of looks like maybe an older one. Um, as we know, they were made in Korea and then Indonesia. And now I think they're making the bulk of their guitars in China because they have that factory there. Um, anyways, beautiful guitar. So he's like, now it's on you, and I got to buy one. So I'll be buying a V. I've been looking. <laughs> I will. I even said in that, if you walk, look back and exactly what I said, I didn't go back and look, but I remember what I said. I said, I'll do it. And I said, but it won't be quick. Cause I, I had just bought a guitar and uh, you know, I got to get over that, <laughs> the financial of that. But the next guitar I will buy myself is a V. So I will be getting a V. So there'll be a V video coming. So it'll be cool. And so I enabled him and he enabled me back. And that's, I guess, that's what we do here is we help the guitar economy. That's, that's what we do. It's good. Good. It's important that we do that. Um, so, but, uh, okay. Well, a second. Um, I just want to see if there's one last thing since I covered everything and I feel bad. So, you know, he had sent that to me, I think like Landon, like two weeks ago. And I just, like I said, the show sometimes gets away from me and I didn't get to it. Um, all right. I think that's it. I think we covered everything. I think uh, I hit a lot of the questions. I appreciate you guys hanging out. I hope you guys loved the or enjoyed the time change. There's a second video coming out today, so there'll be this one and a produced video. It's going to be me taking the Sweetwater Sales Engineer test. Maybe you'll find that interesting. Maybe you will not. I will tell you this. It was really freaking hard. <laughs> uh, not what I expected. So if you're curious, um, I don't know if it's going to help you if you want to work for Sweetwater, but um, it'll definitely make you understand what they're doing versus what everybody else is doing. And uh, that would be cool. And then there's a couple uh, cool videos uh, that are on their way. And then, of course, some exciting stuff. If you haven't checked out the second channel, I have a second channel now. I'm just kind of letting you guys know so you know content's on there. Uh, some of it's interview content, some of it's just free form, fun content. I'm um, going to go back to doing more videos back on my phone like I used to, which is what I really, really enjoyed. Uh, less editing and more just you know, having a moment with people. Um, and that will all go on the second channel because there's no thought put into it. I just throw it up there. And if you want to, if you're that die hard to, to like the channel, then maybe you'll enjoy it. And I don't have to worry about, you know, that's the thing about as your channel gets bigger, you tend to, the algorithm pulls those audience outside your actual core audience. And then they come in and they make all the comments like, I don't get this. This is stupid. And it's because they don't get it. <laughs> and it probably is stupid. All right, so. On that note, I want to thank you guys so much for joining me today, and I will see you guys next week, next Friday. It will be next Friday, so not tomorrow, but the following Friday. In fact, I'll just give you the number. It will be Friday the 30th, so keep in mind, and then uh, so we'll see Friday the 30th at three o'clock Pacific Standard Time, and until then, I hope you guys have a great day. Enjoy yourself, and play guitar, and know your gear.